Welcome to Truthiverse, the number one podcast for free and discerning minds. I'm your host, Brendan Murphy, author and founder of The Truthiversity. As a freedom hacker and truth addict, it's my job to help you reclaim yourself from illusion and live in your power. Living in truth sets you free to holistically upgrade your entire life so you can explore infinite possibility. Join me as we hack our way to a higher evolution. Truthiverse is officially sponsored by The Grow Network, founded by Marjorie Wildcraft, who is the female leader in the survival and preparedness space. With the food supply under attack worldwide and more uncertainty than ever, you may want to check out her free You Can Grow Food webinar. It'll show you how to grow loads of food as fast as possible, even if you have no experience, are older, or just plain out of shape. Check it out for free at brendansbackyard.com. All right, folks, welcome to the show. I am joined this week by the epic Demi Pitchell, who is a fellow substacker. Uh, and uh, a very interesting, insightful human being in general. Demi, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to have a chat with me for, first off. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be yeah, here. It's a pleasure. And um, and so what I wanted to do with Demi was, firstly, she wrote a, a, a very interesting little piece on um, on her Substack just recently about Elon Musk and what he's been up to. And I thought it'd be fun to dig into that and flesh it out some more because she's obviously got, she obviously knows more about Elon and what he's been up to than I do. I, don't, I haven't followed him as closely as I might have liked to. But uh, there's something interesting. There's always something interesting brewing there because he is a bit of an enigma, you know, one of the world's most famous people, but we don't necessarily know <clears throat> as much as we might like to about him. And and because of the ambiguity of the in the not knowing, you know, especially in the truth community, you see most people have a very strong opinion, whether it's one way or the other. Um, and yeah. I don't, uh, as such, I embrace the unknowing and the uncertainty, Demi. So I feel like you can flesh things out for us a bit. Do you want to first maybe let people know, uh, you know, how you ended up in this world or what your background is that might be relevant to, to this space? Sure. Um, my background is in um, film and television and interactive telecommunications. I, I studied both at, at NYU, at Tisch, um, and I ended up um, studying media, propaganda, um, the ways in which these things fit together. And I ended up being a, a producer and content creator for over 20 years. Um, I ran a, a podcast called Come Castro, and we explored, you know, a lot of these topics there as well. Um, it was like geek culture centric kind of a, a podcast. Um, and, you know, just being within the space of um, of content creation and digital marketing is is where I came up and through and having worked in Hollywood. Cool, cool. Okay. So I imagine um, when you say you worked in Hollywood, you must have uh, made some interesting connections along the way. Yes, yes. And and a lot of them crossed over with the um, with the the tech crowd in both LA and in San Francisco. They're very connected to each other. Okay, cool. What was your... Um... I mean, how did you find the experience of being in Hollywood as such? You know, because there's a lot, obviously, of very dark stuff that's been coming out the last few, well, years and decades. Um, right. Did you did you feel like you were, I don't know, present to that, or I don't know, what was your experience? Um, people who spoke about it would speak in whispers, even if they were around no one at all. So um, the the impression that I got was it was something that was accepted because people people were scared people don't want to speak up because they're terrified mm -hmm. um and that was like that was one of my cues to leave basically um I didn't want to be surrounded by that I didn't want to be anywhere near it and I went in another direction with content creation as opposed to 
film, which is what I had always wanted to do. That's, you know, that's what I had studied. Um, but then I also went into um, studying the media, studying propaganda, studying experimental documentary. And I had, you know, um, an entire different direction that I could go in with content creation. So I ended up spending my time picking these things apart once I saw what was happening there. So mm. um, it was a better fit for me past that point, obviously, because, you know, who wants to be around that? But, you know, if even the the people who should be able to do something about it are just as terrified as everyone else, you're mm. not really going to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, I actually noticed also this is a little bit of a tangent, not really following directly from what you just said, but I was looking at the bottom of your, your Substack article and it says, Demi Pitchell explores survival, metaphysics, media, and the truth. And I thought, damn, we are we have more in common than I realize. And because uh, survival and meta survival is huge for me, and metaphysics is huge. So, um, yeah, you've been in that in that realm for a while too, I gather. Absolutely, yeah. And and the two go hand in hand. You know, I always say to people, we prep to be responsible, but then once having having done, you know, we shift our focus to the timeline that we want to be on, so that you know, the the worst that happens is we spent too much on food. You know, we 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 reconfigure the way that we see the world so that we can go in that direction of what we want to co-create with source as opposed to hyper focusing on the need to to survive when we would rather focus on thriving. Yeah. So that's that's my way of kind of making the two um the two things coexist because you do have to think it through and and know what other people are are planning to you know know which direction you should go but you should also use that information to inform jumping to a different timeline or you know um creating something different you know co-creating with the universe to make something that you actually want to experience and not not these dark aspects of these things yeah it sounds like yeah you you're kind of in the the aware awake but not uh kind of the black pilled sort of camp, you know, there's, right. there's a lot of black pilledness going around these days. Um, so yes. you're, would you, have you ever described yourself as a prepper? It sounds like you're, you're of that kind of. Um, I don't know that I would, I would describe myself as that predominantly, but I think that everyone who's ever lived in Florida is sort of a low key prepper to begin with. We have so many hurricanes that come in and out of here. You have to be on top of your game in case of an emergency. And we've had them. So um, anyone who lives here, I think, would be um, would qualify as a prepper, even if they don't consider themselves that. The state of Florida, yeah. <laughs> yes, the entire state. <laughs> yeah. And how how did you? What piqued your? Or how did you get into metaphysics? Um, in in the beginning. I actually, um, <laughs> this is funny. Um, my mother used to buy all these metaphysics books, and I I grew up atheist. I I was in a family of uh, of five different religions. I didn't subscribe to any of them. And uh, and that was sort of my way of rebelling. But I would read the books that she would bring to the house and I would I would debunk her. And she thought it was the cutest, most precocious thing ever and kept buying the books. <laughs> so by the time I was ready to do a 180, because I had watched a few quantum physics videos and said, oh, I had that wrong and just flipped. It, it didn't really have much of an impact on me one way or the other because I was kept an open mind, you know, but um, but all the information was already in my head. From that period of time so it was just a matter of recontextualizing the information i had and and not um not thinking of it in terms of debunking it but in terms of okay how does this work and and where are the correlations among you know different cultures that have this information and, and let's go in that direction 
Mm, yeah. And so you didn't have the whole like, oh my God, my my whole identity is falling apart and what do, what do I do? Who am I? <laughs> no, <laughs> but, um, but I did have other people reacting that way toward my shift, which was interesting. I didn't react that way, but other people um, felt like they couldn't set a watch by me anymore. So that was pretty interesting, you know, to uh, to know that they would react um, in a big way to that. They, you know, they had they had a huge reaction to that that I didn't have to my own change. Mm, yeah. So yeah. It, it it paved the way. It came before all of this um, groupthink, cognitive dissonance being really out in front. So you know, for me to see that early on when it when it wasn't there yet, you know, uh, so present yet um it was interesting to see that as a precursor to everything else that went on so when was that for you when when was like what time frame were you talking about um that was probably 2015 to 2017 as I was you know sort of making my way into what I would think later on and and the um and it didn't come until later on that I knew that I could channel um, it like all of this started to come out little by little over time as I explored um, these elements more and more and understood more and more about them, then different things would open up um, inside of me and I would be able to to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, but what I like to tell everyone and, and one of my missions through having the Substack and, and having my, my other um, presences on platforms is that everyone can do it. It's not just something that, that some people can do because they're born with that gift. Some people access it more easily, um, you know, especially if you had a lot of um, out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences as a child, you're, you're able to access that part of consciousness, source consciousness um, more readily mm. than most people would. Um, but you can always develop that. It's not necessary to have had those experiences and, and everyone in, in being who they are, just in, in being a part of the human experience, they're able to access source consciousness. They're able to access that information and pull that in for themselves. It's, it's open to everyone. Mm. That's part of, of your birthright. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Since we are all born of the same stuff, source, consciousness, whatever you want to, however you like to phrase it, um yeah yeah that's that's been something that's been of interest to me for a long time i actually spent a couple of years back in my <laughs> the first two years of my 20s going to a, a trans meditation group so i've seen some pretty weird stuff over the years <laughs> <laughs> that's Never great. What, what did you see there oh you know i mean different types of personalities showing up occasionally someone who you know said, said they were a famous individual of some sort of but mostly not mostly <laughs> just very obscure and you know you see the, the the personality types carry carry over into you know like assuming that we were watching what we you know people thought we were watching as in actual channeling of deceased or discarnates um and you know some of them are disgruntled and not, don't necessarily particularly want to be there some of them are very confused don't really know what's happened to them um yes. you know it was a whole spectrum of of, of things yeah <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, and and having that that cast of characters around like must have been uh, that must have been wild. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just for a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> you got to got to do something with your Thursdays. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, okay, well, I think one day we're going to have to we're going to have to circle back to the metaphysics stuff and and you know really sort of spend a lot of time on it because um, you know when I before I really knew you I saw comments and it might have been in the uh, the terrain group that we're in. Uh, mm-hmm. that telegram group and i saw you know a couple of comments you made that really got my attention i was like, oh she's she switched on you know she's referencing certain things that you know uh, these are comments i don't see every day um and there were things you know very up my alley at the time so um i think there's there's more there that we can uh, more threads we could pull on uh at a future date but let's let's switch into the the topic of choice today which is the the whole elon musk thing and um, absolutely and your piece on it so what is it that uh he's you know, he's been, you were mentioning he's, there's something going on with Twitter and Substack, Twitter blocking Substack links. It's sort of like some other form of censorship. What, what's happening there? And let's let's get into what he's up to. Right. So, so um, just getting into the comments that he's made to begin with. And, and, and I want to preface this by saying, you know, um, I'm not talking about his intent when I get into this. I don't know what his intent is. It, it could be good. It could be bad. It could be neutral. Um, I think that, you know, um, overall, his intent is to to build a business, to build some sort of monopoly surrounding all of these different properties that he has, that he's accrued over time. And um, and part of that is um, is in concert with the government. Part of that is um, is knowing what pieces he needs to accrue in order to make um, his end goals happen and move forward. Now, it's not to say that those goals are positive or negative. It's just to say that these are the goals. And and if we follow that trajectory forward, we can see that there's a certain, um, you know, if you want to call it a slippery slope is going to happen there. And we will need to be vigilant about who is in control of these pieces as they fit together, because they absolutely interlock. So that's just like the overarching kind of view of this. Um, when he acquired Twitter, he was talking about how um, how WhatsApp was being used um, in China and um, and social credit in China and um, expressed an interest in, in using Twitter in that regard. So Twitter is a piece of this larger puzzle of what he's developing. It's not just, you know, um, 44 billion that he spent on a lark to protect the public square. That's not the reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a great thing to say. It, it would, you know, attract people on an ideological level, um, and people would get behind the uh, get behind the cause there. And mm-hmm. also, there was a lot to uncover surrounding that. So, you know, for people to um, to want him to do that because they want to see under the hood, they want to peek under the hood of of what was happening at Twitter. And you know how much of Twitter was uh, was operating in concert with um, with other big corporations, with um, with different hedge funds, with um, with big government, and all of that coming together into a censorship machine mm-hmm. that it was very difficult to permeate, regardless of of how many people you had as followers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I I got booted off. Um, in I want to say 2021 for even discussing um, Noack, Dr. Noack, when he passed away, um, he had been talking about, and he was like the expert on activated um, carbon. And he was talking about graphene in the shots. Mm-hmm. And he did a whole um, presentation on that. And the next day he had died the oh, next wow. day after they put it out. Right. 
So I was covering that. I put it forward on my Substack, and um, and that caused me to be um, to be canceled from Twitter. Yeah. So I had written about that and, and, you know, so, so this is a lot of people have experienced the same thing and they wanted somebody to take it over who was going to, um, to correct a lot of that. And he has to his credit, you know, he's put a lot of people back on, he, you know, he's given them back their platforms, but, you know, in, in seeing Substack as a quote unquote competitor, he's now, um, keeping those links from, from propagating. So if you post anything that has a Substack link attached to it, you're going to get dinged in the algorithm because he's um, he's perceiving Substack as a competitor. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I don't think that's as far as it goes. I think it goes farther than that because he happened to mention in passing in Business Insider that he would like to acquire Substack. He mentioned this a while back. The problem is the news cycle has a way of memory holding everything that that a um, that someone in the public eye does, like past the next thing that they do in the public eye, because everything is so big and grandiose and takes up so much mind space mm-hmm. that it's not something that people turn around and look at and say, oh, well, you can see this in context and connect the dots here mm-hmm. and and understand that there's there's a larger picture that's forming. Right. So he's trying to hurt Substack so that it would be at least what I think it would be easier to acquire yeah. because he he wants that as a property to add to this and, and to eventually acquire, you know, the majority of the properties, I would think, within that space, because that's what he and his crew are known for doing. They, they form monopolies, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the video that I posted within that, um, you know, he had been involved in, in PayPal and PayPal merged with his company X.com, which is now what Twitter's going to be called X.com. PayPal merged with X.com in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he worked on that with Peter Thiel. Now, Peter Thiel has this, um, series of lectures that he gave, you know, the one I posted, I think was the one that he gave at Stanford, but it was a series of, of different lectures covering the same topic, which was competition is for losers. Right. And it was basically that um, if you can't form a monopoly out of the company that you're putting forward, out of the idea that you're putting forward, if you can't buy the rest of whatever it is up and form a monopoly out of that, you have no business being in that sector. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to fly. And and if you're looking at it, you know, to uh, as that that competition is good, you know, because that means like uh, an expanded marketplace, then you're not seeing the big picture of it. The point is to take all of the rest of them down and and bring them in like all under the same roof, because that's how you make money doing it. Right. So that's how they think. So that was why I put that video forward was to illustrate that. So he's already got that in his mind that he needs to form a monopoly somehow, some way. And, um, and doing this to Substack is strategic, you know, so, so he's thinking, you know, steps and steps ahead where most people are forgetting the news cycle that just came from before. So they're not seeing the big picture of that. They're not, um, they're not following the thread. No, no. I'd say that's true of the vast majority of people. Absolutely. So, you know, when we look at it that way and we see that, that they're not really, um, they're not really following that and they're just, you know, um, they're just seeing things compartmentalized into whatever information they're getting at that particular moment. Um, they, they're seeing, you know, um, choppy bits and pieces. They're not, they're definitely not putting together the entire trajectory of his career, right? Mm-hmm. 
let alone what just happened last Friday. So um, when you look at it like that and you see that he's putting Twitter under X.com, which was formed with PayPal, you know, back in, in 2000, merged with PayPal, you, you can see that there's this trajectory that's happening here where he is, you know, um, forming an overarching connective infrastructure among all of the things that he's doing. And that's that's actually like probably one of the best ways to look at it. It's an infrastructure mm. for something else. Sure. Okay. So when you look at SpaceX, of course, he's put up, you know, all of these different satellites, tons of different satellites and, and did that in concert with DARPA. In fact, he's one of the biggest government contractors, if not the biggest government contractor that there is. So um, so his doing that and his doing that in concert with the government, um, we don't know what they're doing behind closed doors because, you know, um, obviously DARPA is the, the biggest top secret researcher as part of the government that, that the United States has. And he's, you know, working in concert with them, I mean, and, and did on, on Falcon 1 and, and on from there. So Falcon 1 was in uh, 2007. So I think that was his first foray into into that space. But if we're going to go back, you know, earlier than that, he had the Zip2 directory, which was um, which was acquired, and that was to create an infrastructure around finding anything that you could possibly find. You know, um, this was early internet, so this was um, you know creating like a massive directory for the world. So he's already like thinking in terms of like these massive infrastructures, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see that from that. Um, and then getting into um, the connection among how he's going to be using Twitter um, based on what he said about, you know, um, WhatsApp being used as as like a social credit hub and, you know, having like the entire public square tied into Twitter, you know, we can extrapolate from that, that there's going to be some sort of social credit implementation happening through Twitter but that he's controlling. It's not um, It's not controlled by anyone on the outside. It's a private company. So unless he's made deals, you know, that we don't know about, which which he may have with the government because he has other deals with the government, right? So unless he, he has those deals and he's upfront about them because it is a private company, we don't know where that information is going, who has that information, who is utilizing that information in what way? Is it, you know, being utilized in a positive way, in a negative way? We can obviously see the negative way that it could be used. And, you know, how do we protect ourselves from that if um, if we get into a situation where, you know, maybe, maybe he does have good intentions, but maybe the people who end up utilizing the infrastructure that he builds do not have good intentions and then where does that leave us we have to figure that out we have to be vigilant we have to dig into this and figure out you know um what all of these bits and pieces mean um together as a unit so that we can protect ourselves even even if he does have our best interests at heart yeah 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 because i mean so often i mean as soon as anything becomes you know as big as facebook or as big as twitter now it's on the radar of entities right. like DARPA and the CIA and the NSA. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, you have to assume that at that point, when it is that big, you have to assume there's interference going on, there's backdoors being created. You know, at, at the very best, we can all we can say is, well, they're harvesting our data and keeping it and whatever. That's the best right. scenario. And then the worst is like, you know, we see all the just massive waves of censorship, the and you're the institution of this, well, like you're saying, the movement in the direction of um, social credits and, and this kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, we have no reason to be overly trusting, at least. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and we shouldn't be, you know, um, and, and honestly, the way that he talks, I don't think that he would expect us to, I think he would expect us to question what's going on here. You know, um, that's what he would do, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not outside of the realm for, you know, um, for us to question that or for, you know, I don't think it's anything that he would, you know, feel um, impacted by if we were, you know, it, it's just a matter of, you know, how upfront are we going to be about the answers to these questions and, and, and how do we, um, how do we put forward an infrastructure on top of this that, that keeps us um, safe from, from what's going to happen with this, or how do we know enough about it that it raises our awareness to, to decide whether or not we're going to engage with it so that we can maintain our sovereignty, you know, and, and, and those questions go in two different directions and different people are going to look at that in different ways. Right. So, um, so even when you've got, you know, next, next down on the list here, Neuralink, so you've got a company like Neuralink that, you know, uh, ev- those uh, the satellites can easily interface with the phone. They can easily interface with Twitter. Um, how are those things unable to interface with Neuralink? They can, right? So just as easily as they can, they can interface with your Tesla, with the um, with the automatic driving system within your Tesla. That's reassuring. Right? Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a a bad social credit score, you know, in in this dystopia that we're painting that may or may not be, you know, what is the intention, but it's it's a way that that um somebody who has bad intentions could hack into it and use it even if he doesn't mean for it to be that way. Yeah. Um someone would be able to um capture the car, keep you locked into the car and drive the car right off a cliff because mm-hmm. your credit score is low, your social credit score is low. And it's all integrated. So what do we do about that past that point? You know, um, and how do we how do we maintain that kind of vigilance over how our tech is being used and how it's being utilized against us? And to raise that kind of awareness about, you know, not just privacy and not just to have these conversations where people say, well, I have nothing to hide. Well, does it matter if you have something to hide or not if you're getting locked in your car and it's going off of a cliff? I don't think so. You know, so at past a certain point, you have to give up the narrative that that everyone is putting forward as far as, um, you know, whether or not you have privacy, whether or not, you know, you um, you agree with that or you don't, whether or not you're bought into this as a political paradigm or you're not. And to see it as something that could potentially harm you in the wrong person's hands. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, really seeing the ways that that all of this um, all of this interconnects is key to that because then we can you know put stops in place or um or raise awareness in certain areas so that we know not to interact with these things like take solar for instance which um tesla bought up solar city and i think solar city was founded by um by musk's cousins i believe um solar city was was acquired by tesla and is putting in you know solar panels in in different houses they they had started um as a door-to-door um, yeah. solar panel selling company, and and they were acquired. But you know, when you put up solar panels on your house and and you're feeding the excess back to the grid, you don't necessarily think, well, there might be a possibility that you know, if um, if the government decides to, they could just reverse the entire thing and pull all of my power out of my house and into the grid, and I won't have any power. So then, where do I stand? Because I'm connected to the grid. Right. People don't think that way. They're just, you know, oh, I, I 
I really like the idea of having solar. Mm. Um, I like the idea of, of having a low energy bill. Um, I feel great about myself and responsible that I'm sending power back to the grid. They don't think about how that could be utilized to pull all of their power back to the grid yeah. and leave them without power. Mm. And what's the stopgap there? You know, how, how do we, how do we engage with this technology in such a way that we know that that's impossible for people to do to us? Mm. We have to be vigilant. So there, there are all of these different scenarios that are wound up in, um, in the different companies that, that he's, that he's got where, you know, any, any two or three of them put together can create, you know, either a utopian or dystopian um, future out of that. But, you know, one person's utopia is someone else's dystopia anyway. Mm-hmm. So no matter how you look at it, it's, you know, it, it's going to be something where we have to pick that apart and hope that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um as far as the the government connections and, and DARPA uh, is concerned, uh, is there anything else that you know comes to mind that you feel you want to mention around that? Absolutely. Sort of thing? Well, you know, um, at the mention of um, of the shots, you know, we we know that the shots don't contain any mRNA. We know that the shots contain graphene. We know that the that the shots are being utilized to. Um, to put together an infrastructure from person to person of Internet of Bodies. Internet of Bodies was DARPA's baby. It's it's their big project. They've been building um, apps that run on top of that infrastructure for the past, if you go back four or five years and, and look at all of the, the symposia archives, you can see, you know, all of the presentations that they were putting forward. You know, the majority of them are about superconductors and Internet of Bodies. Well, where is this Internet of Bodies? How did they propose, you know, setting that up? Well, you know, we know there's DARPA hy- hydrogel in the shots, mm-hmm. right? So uh, there, there's this other aspect to that where we know that that people have this Tesla Foretic equipment within them already. They have um, they have nanotech within them. It's coming in through the food. It's coming in through the shots. Coming in every which way when it heats. Um, even at room temperature, graphene has Brownian motion. So it's already moving on its own, generating power on its own. But when it's inside the body, it's more likely at that temperature to um, to form connections. And that's how um, the different circuits align with each other and, and, and come online is by doing that. And I, I got into that in an article that I wrote um, about teslapheresis. So I'll give you the link for that as well. Um, but that's just part of it. So like part of it is, is developing that infrastructure within one person's body, having that person's body communicating with another person's body, having those things interconnect with, you know, perhaps the satellites, the phones, Twitter, social scores. All of this is basically creating a directory of, of all of the people everywhere so like when we talk about zip2 where he came from and the trajectory of his work he was already trying to to create that kind of an infrastructure when he started so this is just moving it forward you know um in increments and according to the technologies that are are available and then you've got you know open ai and that you know um that may or may not be, you know, uh, a way to have a seat at the table so that ethics will be on board 
but what happens when he's not involved in that anymore? So even if he means well, what happens when he's not involved in that anymore? And is it, you know, um, and, and we've got these different competing AI um, infrastructures mm. that are going on that are each trying to take over this giant infrastructure of what we already have and um, and what's been implemented by DARPA. And, and you can kind of see the trajectory from there. So there's all of these questions that this opens up and, and, and they need to be asked. You know, they, they need to be brought up in broad daylight among all of humanity because now we've all been subjected to this in one way or another, whether we said no, whether we said yes, whether it's, um, it's already internal, whether, you know, we've had people who have, have died from the experiments. You know, we, we have so much going on that every person on the planet is involved in this now. So where do we go from here? Yeah, and you know, it's like you said, uh, once the genie's out of the bottle, it doesn't necessarily matter that much what Elon's personal right. intentions are or what his views, world worldview, philosophy, ideology, whatever it is. Um, and it's funny because, you know, so many people in the truth movement have such strong opinions about, about these characters that get thrown up in the media and talk about and, and mostly it seems to me people are leaping to conclusions you know they're either on the bandwagon or they're in the the oppositional camp and they they think he's you know he's one of the the uh illuminati or whatever whatever narrative they've sort of adopted and it's like mm -hmm. it's actually usually i think most of the time it's more complicated and nuanced than that and which is which is seems to be where you're coming from and um you know like case in point um i know a, a local who is a uh, a musician who does like kirtan music and she's got a pretty decent um decent little following but one day uh elon's wife uh stumbled on and shared one of my friend's songs to her network um and mm -hmm. gave it gave it quite a significant boost um, and it was like, you know, she does like, it's like spiritual music, kirtan music, you know, that's what she, that's what my friend plays. Um, and so his wife's sharing this going, hey, look at this, this is great. Um, and and that's like one of those little data points that doesn't fit the narrative of, oh, these people are working for Satan kind of thing. It's like, you know, they, there's, there's personal, you know, predilections and tastes and, you know, we all have opinions on, on different things and it's like, whether or not he is intentionally doing X, Y, Z or not, we don't necessarily know because we're not in his head. We can only right. make, make inferences about it and, and work with the evidence that, you know, you're presenting, for example, and say, okay, well, this is, he's a, because he's a pragmatist, right? Like he's one of these mm -hmm. people who is thoroughly pragmatic. And you talk about this in your article where, you know, he's one of these INTJ personalities. Maybe yes. we could, maybe you could dig into that for us and, and unpack the the Elon sort of psychology a bit. Sure. Um, so if you're an INTJ, you're you're thinking for it. It's called the the mastermind personality. So you're you see life as pretty much a chess game. You're going to think forward a bunch of moves further than than anyone else. And most people are not intuitives. So the the N in INTJ stands for intuitive. Um, the majority of people are sensory. They're very concrete thinkers. They're not intuitive. They don't connect dots. Um, that's about seventy percent of the population. Um, so. It, just right there, um, it's going to take someone who has like that sort of intuitive ability, someone who has um, the ability to connect dots to even see the direction that he might be taking something. So if you're going to look at it and and really know and be able to size up where the connections are among these things, it, it would take someone who is 
an INTJ, an INFJ, or an ENTJ really to uh, to see it for what it is. And that's a very small percentage of the population. The majority of the population is just seeing data points as they come through. They're not connecting any dots. They're getting stuck in the news cycle. They're getting memory hold and, and that's it. So they're not really, um, they're not really seeing it for what it is. Um, so when you look at it that way and you know that, that he's the type of person who does this really, really well and, and knows what he has to do several steps ahead to gain a monopoly and knows that people are not going to see the trajectory of the different decisions that he's making and how they fit together. So, you know, on a business side, you know, that that's like, you know, that's the nuclear bomb of business acumen, which is what I was talking about in the article. You know, it's that puts him, you know, on point to uh, to gain a monopoly because who would um, who would be able to get that many steps ahead to block him, right? Um, so it depends what he's trying to do in in that regard, and and even if he does have the best intentions for what he's trying to create, we still have to have checks and balances in place because it does impact all of humanity. Mm. So you know when it, when we get to that point where something does you know have that great of an impact and and it's left up to you know one two or ten people to decide the fate of everyone you know we we have to um, we have to decide whether we're going to um, engage with that or opt out of it and, and uh, you know take appropriate steps in that direction. Yeah, and it's you know the picture that you're painting with all these different pieces of in- infrastructure that he's accumulating. Um, pulling together and the connections he's got with government agencies, DARPA, DARPA is a particularly dubious one. Um, you know, if we look at the last, say, five, six years, there's been an exponential, or at least what appears to be on the surface, an exponential attack on, just as an example, right, to kind of flesh out these scenarios that you're talking about, the potential for the dystopian scenario would seem to be huge because last few years we've seen dozens and dozens of alternative health practitioners actually being assassinated like, there's no real yes. there's no real other way to put it i mean they've been intentionally culled taken out these people who are doing great work saying things that the mainstream system doesn't want them to say and really more importantly i guess at the same time doing things in terms of healing people uh reversing certain types of damage dealing with certain types of damage that is taboo like vaccine related damage and then understanding this stuff and fleshing it out and explaining to people the system doesn't want them to do that and we've seen these people assassinated by the dozen so that's pre you know that's pre all of this infrastructure being becoming operationalized you know controlled by ai and and really really taken to the full sinister extent that it could go to and that's just what they've already managed to do with dissenters so the, the the potential for something incredibly incredibly horrendously dystopian is is really i mean it seems to be emerging i'm not saying that i think it's going to get there necessarily but what they have done already without it is quite astonishing and what this technology and the connectedness of everything will do once people once everyone's got the you know the hydrogel in them the the nanotech in them once they're all living in their smart homes which where everything is remotely controlled, the car's remotely right. controlled. I mean, you know, oh look, the brakes have failed. Up, oh, they hit a tree on the bend. Ah, uh, what what a shame! What a shame! Another doctor, you know, bites the dust. So yes, right. 
Yeah. So, um, so we do have to look at all of these like interconnected nodes among the different projects so that, that we can flesh this out. And it's not, it's not just him, right? Mm. This is, this is across the board, all of these different projects. It's all of DARPA's projects. It's all of um, the other projects that are, um, that are hooked into government that are, you know, across the United States, across the world, um, voting even being one of them, you know, creating that sort of um, infrastructure around the vote where um, it's all being used to um, to send certain people in. It's all being used for regime change. It's not being used, you know, as an actual um, agent of democracy in yeah. the way that we would think of democracy. You know, we're we're uh, we're propagandized with democracy constantly, but, it, you know, it, it's not in the way that we would think about it. It's it was those systems were developed as an agent of regime change. Mm -hmm. And the reason that no one will touch looking at those systems is because it would expose regime change across the world. It would mm -hmm. cause massive civil unrest. No one can go there because they don't want to expose it. They don't want that to happen. They don't want the apocalypse, basically. They, you know, and, and uh, they want it to be controlled. You can't, you lose control when you get to that point. It's too much chaos. Mm. They want a controlled amount of chaos where they can slip certain things in and move things around. They don't want mass chaos. Yeah, yeah. So they Complete, really oh, yeah. They don't want the complete like infrastructural meltdown where they can no longer right. continue to manipulate. <laughs> right, right. Because it takes away everything that they've already built and they have to start from scratch on a lot of that. So. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, you, you look at the last the last election in in the states and the incredible amount of just unbelievable fuckery that was coming out of, of that, you know, people, and not that it matters, but, you know, someone goes to vote for Trump and then Biden comes up on the screen and they're like, they're like, no, 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 I'm trying to vote for Trump. But it's going, you have voted for Joe Biden. Thanks. And they're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and, it's and even people showing up that, um, that supposedly had voted already. Yeah. And they weren't able to vote because their identities were taken over. There were mm. so many different ways that that this was happening or like, you know, stuffing the ballot boxes, um, you know, with all the, the write-ins. There, there were so many different ways that this was done. But it's not just this election. It's been happening mm. election after election. Uh, there, there was a great documentary that was put out. Um, around the time of uh, of the 2016 election about um, what was it called? Black box voting. If you look into that, it was about fractional voting where like the votes go into a system and they're broken into fractions and and then certain people are made to win. Well, you know, where are these fractional votes? Where are these like half a person and, and a quarter of a person? Like that doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly what's there. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Crazy. But they've been getting away <laughs> with it for, for yeah. years. For yep. And and not just here, but but everywhere. Everywhere they wanted to install a different leader who would play ball. Mm. And that's that's really what's going on here. So where you were saying, you know, certain people are, you know, in the Illuminati and certain people aren't and and this and that. I don't think it, it's as cut and dry as mm. that. What what I think happens is similar to, you know, and, and I'm not saying, you know, anyone is doing this or isn't doing this. But but the way that I'm I'm gathering this goes down is it similar to how dirty cops keep each other in check? They they always have some sort of blackmail material on each other to know that the other one is is willing to play ball. Mm. It's the same as like a you know when you're um, when you're initiated into a gang, 
or something like that. Um, you know, the, the gang will have dirt on you to keep you um, in control. And, and this, you know, shows up all over different facets of society. It's nothing new, but um, that's one of the ways that they keep people in check so that they know that they own them is to have blackmail material on them so that if at any point um, something should happen, they could come forward with that and say, you know, oh, we have X, Y, Z, and you will do exactly what we say. You know, so um, so it may not even be that, you know, that the person even did something wrong if they have that big of a conscience and they don't want it out there. You know, like it depends. It depends. So, you know, we we can see this on all different levels, but um, but that's generally how that kind of thing happens, whether or not they're fully embedded in something like that, you know. Maybe maybe they had a bad night. They were really drunk and they were positioned in a certain way where, you know, somebody took pictures or whatever. We don't know. We mm. and, and with deep fakes, how could you know? And I think that's why deep fakes were ushered in mm. so that you can't possibly know. Yeah. If you see a picture of somebody doing X, Y and Z, they could just say, oh, that's a deep fake. Yeah. Yeah. It cuts, you know? it cuts both ways. They seem to the, mm-hmm. the introduction of of that pathological uh, confusion and uncertainty seems to be something that they they think they can capitalize on absolutely yeah Mm. so you know it's um it's a matter of being vigilant and knowing you know what all of this technology is and what it stands for and what it can be used for in concert and to to know that this is what we're up against this is this is what we need to see and this is what we need to protect ourselves against just Mm. so that you know um just like what I was saying about, you know, we we prep to to be able to know that we will have what we need to survive, but we don't want to beg that on by hyper-focusing on it mm-hmm. and bringing that reality to us. We don't want to do that. You know, we we want to be able to co-create a reality that that's in our best interests. Yeah. And that's what understanding this would bring about, you know, um, knowing that we need to say no. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've had many opportunities over the last few decades to say no and some, some, <laughs> some cracking good opportunities in the last three years to say no and uh yeah honestly I, I think that um the time has really it's really past time I can't believe we, I was having this conversation with Amy you know yesterday the day before about we cannot believe the number of people who You'll find the full video and any bonus materials in my exclusive members-only portal, The Truthiversity. This unique creation is the official home for all my multimedia research and entertainment content. Updated regularly, my members get access to absolutely everything I create, including full podcasts, courses, articles, videos, audio files, the whole enchilada. Book your spot at truthiversity.com.